I grew up in a church where on Palm Sunday, during the praise and worship time, all the kids had like palm branches during the praise and worship. Did anyone else grow up with that? Just curious. A few of you, yeah. Some of you over here, over there in the back, maybe, yeah. Uh, some of you, you get it. And I never knew why as a kid we had. It's just Jesus is coming on a donkey, and I've got a plant in my hand as a child, and that's a great thing. And man, what a fun day. And as I think about... Palm Sunday being today, I think about the real meaning of Palm Sunday and what it actually means as we wrap up this series here today about being emptied and filled. Palm Sunday is the day that we really celebrate God fulfilling His promise. That's really what we're celebrating on Palm Sunday because we're reminded of His sovereignty, we're reminded of His victory, we're reminded of His promise, we're reminded of the suffering servant our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's read this story together over in Luke. Let's go to the book of Luke, the 19th chapter. If you have your Bible today, I want you to be able to follow along. Um, We had a little fun with this in the first service, but I'm not going to do it again this time. When I actually put my notes together, um, I gave the folks who put the scriptures on the screen, Luke 19, 26 through 41, because the Bible that I was studying and preparing in, the numbers were so small, I guess my age is catching up with me. I saw 26 instead of 28. So there you go. It's just a little awkward if you read verse 26 and 27. That has nothing to do with the context or the story of Palm Sunday with what I want to preach today. So we're just going to go straight to verse 28. Um, So if you're like, well, why did he skip those? If you want to read them, go for it. Um, I mean, it's the Word of God, but uh, we're not going to read it for our purposes today. We're just going to jump straight to Uh, Verse 28, I tried to play it off in the first service and it did not work. So I'm just going to go ahead and out myself in this one and say, nope, straight to verse 28. Let's read this story about uh, Jesus coming in on uh, this uh, donkey and, and what all this means. Let's talk about this today. Verse 28, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, the mount that is called Olivet, he set He sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? Why are you stealing my donkey, man? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And um, verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41, and as he drew near to the city, Jesus wept over it. As I look at this picture here, it's actually a prophecy being fulfilled 
from Zechariah 9 and verse 9 that was written hundreds of years before this event ever took place. And Zechariah 9.9, can you pull that up for us? It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it was exactly as had been prophesied, one more thing to confirm that this coming king was indeed Jesus Christ. This is just one more piece of prophecy about the Messiah. So this was bigger than Jesus just needing a ride. This was a celebratory thing. This was something that the people were supposed to recognize through this prophecy. This is God having made a promise and now this promise is being fulfilled. But it's interesting why this young donkey, because in the time of even Zechariah, when you would have a king ride through town in a parade, if he were riding a donkey, it was a symbol of peace. It was a time of peace, like the nation's not at war, everything's okay. He's riding through on the donkey and the people are celebrating the king. If the king, however, were to ride through the town on a horse, he's actually displaying and showing the people that this is a time of war. We've got to be ready. We've got to mount up. We've got to you know, get ready to go to battle. And so as Jesus is riding a donkey, he's letting the people know he's a king who's coming during a time of peace. But the people of uh, Jerusalem, the people there would not have understood this as a time of peace in their minds because they're sitting here going, wait a minute. Why is the king riding on a donkey when we're living under Roman occupation? Because the Romans were the ones who were calling the shots in Jerusalem during the days of Christ. And so the Romans are running everything. The Roman government has been instituted. They tolerated the Jewish people and let them do their things their way to a certain extent. But for the most part, they were still the overarching authority because they had come in and conquered and taken over. And the people are looking at Jesus and they're celebrating him and they're waving their, their palm branches because the palm branches are actually a sign and a symbol to the Jewish people of military victory. They put it on all of their coins. You can see a lot of ancient coins during that time would have the two olive branches, uh, or, or, or the palm branches rather, on it, uh, symbolizing we are strong, we are mighty, kind of like in America. We have symbolism on our coins, you know, big strong eagle and, you know, that's, that's holding the, the arrows in one hand. And we have all in one talon. You see how they had symbolism on their coins just like we do. And it was saying, listen, this is something that is representing victory. And what are they shouting? They're shouting Hosanna. And, and, and they're shouting Hosanna in the highest. They're saying, save us. Salvation is here. Salvation has come. And they're declaring that Jesus is going to come and save them. So they're recognizing him as king. They're, they're acknowledging him as savior, but saving them from what necessarily? Well, in their minds, they were thinking he's going to save us from the Romans. All they're thinking about is their current situation and their current circumstance because life is tough with the Romans running the show. And so these people are thinking our king has come. He's going to overthrow this nasty Roman government and he's going to make everything good again for us. And he's going to do it. We're going to praise him. We're going to lay our cloaks down so he can ride in here. But he's on a donkey. Oh, maybe you got that one wrong. That's okay. Let's throw him down anyways. 
And they're seeing Jesus come in, they're celebrating him as king, but yet he didn't necessarily come the way that they wanted him to. He didn't necessarily do everything the way that they wanted him to do it. And they misunderstood the spiritual significance of what was happening in this moment as this prophecy was being fulfilled before their very eyes. How do we know they missed it? Because as soon as this parade is over, Jesus starts weeping. And why is he weeping? Because he knows something. He knows that these same people who are celebrating him just a few days later are going to be faced with a choice. They're going to be faced with a choice by um, the current administration of the Romans to choose a prisoner to be set free. And they're going to have a choice. There's this murderous person, most vile person that has probably been locked up in a very long time named Barabbas, who's a known murderer. And then the choice is going to be given to the people to select to free Barabbas or to free Jesus, who by everything the government can tell has done nothing wrong according to the Roman laws. And the people are going to choose Barabbas. And they're going to miss their moment. They're going to miss seeing who Jesus actually is because he's not necessarily coming the way they thought he should come in. He's not necessarily doing the things that they thought he was going to do. And then he gets beaten, our victor, our king. He gets crucified. I don't want to be on the losing team. I want to be on the winning team. And so a lot of people are going to leave who were once following Jesus. But this isn't the first time that people who were excited about Jesus left Jesus. Even during Jesus' earthly ministry, do you remember the story where Jesus fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch, just five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplied and fed, fed the entire multitude to the point to where they had all these baskets of food left over and just with a small little lunch, and they were like, this is the guy I want to follow. And then Jesus says some difficult things about what it means to follow him and the cost, and they couldn't handle it. And so everyone left because they couldn't handle what Jesus was saying. And then there's a small group of his few disciples left, and he turns to those few after all the thousands have left, and he looks at them and he says, are you guys going to leave too? Whoa. (laughs) And Peter speaks up and says, where else will we go? You've got the words of eternal life. You see, there comes a point where we have to ask ourselves, When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, do we still follow him? How far are we going to follow him? Because every one of us has this idea of what Jesus should do to make our lives better. All of us have these ideas of what Christ should do for us and how God should operate. And we'll follow as long as our expectations are getting met. But the moment our expectations don't get met, what do we do at that moment? Because that's the real test. Because as long as things are going the way you think they should go, you're good. I'm good. Hey, everybody's treating me the way I think I should be treated. Uh, this, is a, this is a great journey. All these things, and things are working out. But what about when it starts to get bumpy? What about when you go, oh, I didn't know Christianity was going to cost me that. What about when you realize, oh, no, my friends are rejecting me that used to accept me? Or... I've, you know, and we'll say things like, you know, I got to work with some of these people, you know, I mean, so I I mean, I'll follow Jesus, but I mean, I've got to be accepted by this group. I see them every day. Or we'll say, you know, I'm related to some of these people. So, you know, I'll follow Jesus, but because it's easy to follow Jesus right here, right now in this moment. 
This is the easiest place that you will find to follow Jesus, right here at church. It should be anyways. It's the easiest place. Why? Because you're surrounded with like-minded people who are also wanting to follow Jesus. People who are loving Jesus, who are willing to sing songs to God and singing songs about salvation and who God is. And we all are doing that. We're all cool with that here. But what about when you leave this atmosphere, this environment? What about when you get out into the world and now you're faced with pressures? How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to trust Jesus? Because there are going to be times where your expectations and the way you think life should go, man, those things are not going to get met. Is Jesus still worthy of your allegiance? Is he still worthy of you following him? Is he still worthy of you even losing some of those friendships, some of those relationships that perhaps you had before? Is Christ that valuable to you? Is he worth it? Have you found that type of value in him when your expectations don't get met? Maybe when, maybe even some, some good intention preacher told you God would do this for you and, and it didn't happen the way you thought you did everything right. You said all the words, you, you tried to live a certain way, you tried to do everything and follow the formula and follow the steps and it, it didn't happen for you the way that you were told it was supposed to happen. Is he still worth following in those instances? Or is he only worth following when everything is plug and play and you always get your way? Because I hate to tell you folks, we're dealing with people and people have a tendency to be selfish, right? You want to know how I know? I am one. I am selfish and you are selfish. And when things don't go my way or when you don't treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated, I have a hard time with that. When you don't do things the way that I think you should do them, sometimes if it affects me, or I just think you're wrong. I have a hard time with that. So how do I deal with that? Is it still worth following Jesus when I'm disappointed in people? When my expectations are met, aren't, aren't met? Because if I were to tell you, hey, become a Christian, everything in life's going to work out for you. Your life's going to go incredibly smooth. You would go, sign me up. And some people are peddling that. And they peddle that and they're making false converts because people get into what they call Christianity only for what they can get out of it from God. And they never really love Jesus and they never really understand their need for Christ and they never understand salvation. They just want to have a proverbial Santa Claus and they want to have this great life that's problem-free. And I see over and over again in Scripture where we talk about sharing in the sufferings with Christ and we talk about the tribulations and the trials and the challenges that we face, that we can still have peace in the middle of all of that because Christ has become sufficient and he's enough for us and he anchors us, amen? Not this bag of goods that follow Jesus and everything's going to work out your way. That's not how this works. So when he doesn't meet our expectations, do we follow him and how far will we go? You see, God promised and delivered on the promise through the prophecy given to Zechariah. He promised that there was going to come this king. And that's just one instance. There's so many more scriptures. That's just one instance where we see this prophecy fulfilled. But the people didn't see it because the expectation that they had. God was still confirming his promise. The people didn't see it. But he's been doing this since the very beginning. The very first two people on the planet, Adam and Eve, there was a promise given. In, after, after Adam and Eve uh, fell, they disobeyed God. 
There was a promise given in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and 15. God himself spoke this. He said this to the enemy. He said, I am going to put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent, the snake, the deceiver. He says, I'm putting, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's speaking of the coming salvation of mankind. He's speaking ultimately of Jesus Christ. They didn't know his name. He didn't give all the details, right? But what God did say is that there's coming someone who's going to change things. All your plans, snake, all of your uh, devices, all of your ideas, all of your intentions are going to be stopped because you're going to be stopped at the head. Yeah, you're going to have what appears to be a victory, but you're only going to bruise his heel. But he is going to crush your head. He is going to take you out and all of your plans and all of your devices and all of your ideas. This is called proto-evangelism. This is the first sharing of the gospel. This is the first sharing of hope. This is this idea that, yes, wrong has been done for the very first time in the world. Sin has corrupted God's perfect creation. And now this sin that has now entered into the world through man's disobedience it's going to be rectified because the enemy is ultimately not going to win. And God made this promise, and he once again fulfilled that promise through sending us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And is God's promise enough for you, or are you still looking for something else? All of us following Jesus, all of us declaring our, our dedication and our love for him. We're following him, but how far are we willing to go? Is his promise enough or is there something else that you think God has to prove himself to you somehow? Is there something else you're looking for outside of what God has already said? Because I'm afraid that if we are, we're going to find ourselves much like the people who were shouting Hosanna, who were praising God, who were willing to lay down their cloaks, who were willing to praise God as he's walking, as he's riding the donkey through the streets. But then just a few days later when things aren't going our way, oh, I'm out. <laughs> or we get angry at him. This is why people say, I get angry at God. Well, well who, who, whoever in their right mind, where, where do we get off on this idea thinking we, we're angry with God? We, we become angry with God only when we don't get our way. <laughs> as if God is supposed to cater to us. As if that's God's, God's obligation is to cater to you and to me. When he's already promised, he's already showed us who he is. He's laid it out just like all of these signs, all of these different prophecies, all these things that were given to the people. So when he came, they were supposed to know and they were supposed to trust and they were supposed to see. But then after Jesus rides the donkey and, and the parade is over and all the shouting is done and calmed, he weeps. And he weeps because he knows already something. Very difficult if you think about this. He already knows the end of this story from the beginning, and he knows who's going to reject him, and he knows that the rejection is coming, and he doesn't get caught up in the fanfare of the moment because he knows that the rejection of the people is, is drawing near, and he weeps over them like uh, uh, he sees them as a bunch of sheep who are lost and wandering, and, and, and they don't have a shepherd, and he sees the fact that they're going to go through some difficult things because they're going to miss the hour of their visitation. It'd be like this. It'd be uh, comparable to if you were saving up money for a very long time. I'm talking thousands of dollars. 
and maybe millions of dollars, you're saving up an incredible amount of money to buy a gift for someone that you love very much, but you already know that they are not going to receive you nor your gift that you're going to give them. Matter of fact, they're going to reject you and they may hurt you, but you still go through with working to make sure that you're saving money, that you're going to still present this gift and offer this gift, even though you know they're not going to like it. I don't know about you, but if I already knew that someone wasn't going to like something that I was going to give them, that I had to go through a lot of stuff to be in a position to give them, I would lose motivation to give them the gift. I think you would too, because I would go, well, if they're not going to be thankful for this gift, if they're not going to receive this gift, I'm just going to give it to them. And I would turn inwardly, and I would say, nope, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to keep it for myself, or I'll give it to somebody who does want it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm definitely not going to give it to them. I'm not going to make it available for them to receive. Nope. But he already knew this. And he didn't change course. He stayed true to the course, knowing that these people celebrating him we're also going to go, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then Pontius Pilate's going to say, well, what do we do with Jesus then? And they didn't say, lock him up, flog him, cast him out of the city. Nope, they're going to cheer and cry out in unison for the worst possible punishment that the Romans had come up with during that time and that period. Crucify him. Crucify him humiliate him, just completely just change his appearance to where you can't even tell who he is, put nails through his hands and feet, mock him, crucify him, is what they're all going to in unison shout. Jesus already knows that's going to happen, and he still is willing to give the gift anyways. So if God's promise is enough and we see how God is faithful and how he fulfills his promise. And we see how his word is enough. Has he become enough for you wherever you're at and whatever you're facing and whatever you're going through? Because maybe God isn't doing things according to your plan. Welcome to Christianity. God isn't interested in just simply catering to our will and our whim. No, instead, he told us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, not mine. So Lord, I want what you want and help me to want what you want when I want something that's conflicting with what you want. And help me see your promise and let your promise be enough so I don't find myself wandering and looking for something else. Because what people will do is that if God's not catering to their needs, they'll just abandon God. Well, God, oh, I'll go find another religion that'll cater to my needs or I'll just become an agnostic or an atheist and just do what I want to do my way. Because God's not doing things on my timeline and my time frame the way I think he should do it. And I've seen too much hypocrisy and I've seen too much of this and I've seen too much of that. And I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of being angry. And this shouldn't have happened. And if God loved me, he wouldn't have allowed this. And this wouldn't have happened. And this wouldn't have happened. And we make all these excuses. And, and, and we say these things. And you know, you've heard people say these things. Maybe you've said these things yourself. It comes from a place of woundedness, of disappointment, of God not meeting your expectations. But he didn't come to meet your expectations and do things your way. He made promises. And he's going to give you the greatest gift that you're ever going to be able to receive if you truly can see it. 
Let's keep on reading this because Jesus knew this was going to happen. Verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the hour of your visitation. You didn't see it. You missed it. God already knew. God, God, God writes the book differently. He starts at the end. He already knows the end. He already knows what's going to happen. You and I think that, you know, we can become masters of our own destiny, and God already knows the end. He's already well aware of the end. God is not surprised. God wasn't surprised at the decision you made this morning. God wasn't surprised with who won the presidential election. God wasn't surprised at what countries are at war. God wasn't surprised at the coronavirus. He wasn't caught off guard. He didn't go, wait a minute, what? They did what? God's not surprised by sin. He's not surprised by your failings. I can't believe you did that. God's not caught off guard. God is not surprised. Think about that. That's a deep thought. God is not surprised because He knew. He knew. He knew you would be sitting here today or watching online or sitting out in the comments. He, he knew you would be listening to this message. He knew you would be hearing this. And He knew you were going to be faced today with the question of, am I looking for something else? Or as, am I trusting in God because I can look back on the pattern of His faithfulness and see how everything He's promised, He's fulfilled those promises. That's why we're looking at Palm Sunday and seeing this was part of the affirmation to the people to help them see that indeed this was God's promised chosen one, even promised back in the book of Genesis and so many other places throughout the ages. And now it's time, and, and Jesus is weeping, and he says, they're, they're, they're missing their time of visitation. They didn't know God is walking among them. They didn't know that the Son of God has come, wrapped in human flesh, to give them the greatest gift ever known to mankind, redemption, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God. The curse of, the, of, of sin that has plagued mankind, that has separated mankind from God, is now going to be ratified by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all those who will believe, all those who will see, all those who will understand, all those who will have ears to hear. And Jesus knows they're not going to get it. Is God's sovereignty enough? Is His sovereignty enough? Or are you still looking for something else? Are you still trying to control outcomes? Are you still trying to somehow think you can manipulate the hand of God? Or is God's sovereignty enough? Can you rest in the fact that God is sovereign, God is faithful, that God has promised and He has fulfilled and delivered on every single promise? Now, when Jesus died on the cross, the Romans didn't all of a sudden give up power. Oh no! It's still the same. You wake up the next day, yep, Caesar's still in power. Oh man, life's still tough. Still dealing with limitations and restrictions. I was hoping things were going to be easier. And maybe you're in the similar boat. 
I'm going to dive into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you wake up the next day and you're like, still have the same boss, still have the same coworkers, still live in the same government system. Oh man, I was hoping that all that would be fixed by morning because I became a Christian and prayed. And we hope that things change because we feel like that if we just follow this pattern, all of a sudden everything's going to work out for our benefit. No, it's, it's not that my circumstances or the surroundings change. It's not like all of a sudden you become a Christian and your spouse falls in love with you the very next day and your marriage is fixed. It's not like all of a sudden your children start behaving just because you said, I'm going to take them to church. What I'm going to do. I don't know how to raise them. I'm going to let the church raise them. <laughs> the church is going to fix them. Do you want me to take you to church? Is that what you want? Like you're punishing them? Nobody here does that. That's like a church down the street or something. Oh, when's this guy leaving again? Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, that wasn't good, was it? Um, we think that our life is just supposed to magically be fixed because we become a Christian or because we go to church and... You know, all those things are wonderful and they're, they're God-honoring, but you're still going to wake up the next day and you're still going to, physically, you're going to look the same, but your hope is different. Amen? You see, before you knew Christ, you didn't have hope. You didn't have hope, but now because of Christ, you have hope. And because of hope, it begins to change the way that I live. It begins to reorder and change my priorities. Now something is different because hope is stirred in me. Hope for what? A better life here on earth? No. Hope for eternity, knowing that my sins have been forgiven and knowing that I'm right in the eyes of God. I was once an enemy of God and now I'm brought into the family of God and I'm called a son or a daughter. There's nothing better. That's where Jesus can say, don't be afraid of what man can do to your body. All he can do is kill you. He can hurt you. Be instead, if you're going to live in fear, have a holy fear of God who has say so over both your body and soul. Don't live in fear of man. That's temporary. Instead, live in that holy, righteous sphere of God, taking him seriously, taking him at his word, and knowing that if I don't become right in his eyes, eternity is going to be this eternal damnation separated from God. I don't want to live eternally separated from God. I want to be a part of his family, and he's made a way, and he welcomes me, and he wants me. Amen? I have to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him, and God has shown and proven Himself throughout the ages. Look, I made a promise, I fulfilled it. I made another promise, I fulfilled it, and God's promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Is that enough for you, or do you need something else? Are you still looking? Is God's sovereignty enough, or are you still looking? Are you still looking for something else? You see... He has proven himself faithful. Amen, church? Here's your bottom line. God has proven himself faithful and he alone is worthy of our total surrender and trust. He's worthy because he has proven himself faithful. If he never did another thing, he is still worthy. But he does. He still intervenes. He still cares. God still heals. God still delivers. God still makes a way in situations where it seems like all hope was gone. God still removes barriers. God still softens hearts. God still does so many things that he doesn't even have to do, but he does it because he loves us. 
And he does it to show his glory. Because when he pours his love out on us, it shows how awesome he is. And so God gets glorified when we're faced with a situation where there's nowhere else to turn and we finally go, I don't know what else to do, and God makes a way. Now, it doesn't always work out to my benefit. Sometimes it does. And we praise God for that, but whether I get my way or not, whether I personally benefit or not, and things become easier in my life or not, he's still worthy if he never did another thing. Amen? He's still worthy. God being worthy is not contingent or dependent on how good I think he is. God's not looking to me to tell him how worthy he is because he is worthy whether I acknowledge it or not. But when I do acknowledge it, it stirs in me a deeper dependence, a deeper gratefulness, a deeper thankfulness. It stirs something in me that helps me to navigate the challenges of our day. Because you are going to be faced with challenges. Maybe some of you are facing challenges right now. And you're hoping in this present world. And if you're hoping that this present world is going to change just because maybe you're, 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 you're a Christian and you're hoping everything's just going to be uh, changed and turned around the way you want it, i got news for you. Your hope should not be in what man can accomplish. Amen. My hope is in eternity in Christ alone. Because this world, there's always going to be conflict. I don't care how good or successful we get at feeding the hungry, there's always going to be someone going to bed without a meal somewhere in this world. Now, we should still care about that. We should, I, I want to fill as many hungry bellies as I can while I'm on this earth and I can share the love of Christ by meeting someone's physical need, but I, I can't meet them all and neither can you, Right? I can't. We're not going to rid the world of wickedness and evil and, and murder. I don't care how much good we try to do, there's still going to be wicked people who are going to do wicked things because sin is still very much a reality in our world. But as we read in Romans chapter 8, creation is groaning for the redemption. Uh, creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. And creation is groaning as in those pangs of childbirth, even our physical bodies. We're waiting. We're, 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 we're not there yet. We're still dealing with trials and challenges and, and wickedness. We're all still faced with temptations. But I have hope because of Christ that one day, hey, all that's going to pass away. That's why I don't put my hope in, in men. That's why I don't put my hope in who is in charge of the government. That's why I don't put my hope in whatever may be uh, the news of the day. Because can I tell you, as long as there's sin in the world, the news is always going to be bad. It's always going to be bad. If you're hoping that one day you turn on the news and they go, guess what? Guess what? It's great. The news reporter is just excited and says, the Republicans and Democrats are having a party. They're all getting along. They're hugging. They're high-fiving. They've got the little, the little things that you blow on with the paper at the end, the little They've got those things. They've had, they're having cake. They're hanging out. 
that they're all agreeing and they're all just becoming buds and they're asking each other to forgive one another for all the wrong they've done. They're turning to the scripture and they're all just going to just love God and they're all going to just completely run this country according to what would please and honor God. They've all repented of all their sins, all that stuff. It's a great day. Guess what? Guess what? Oh, this just in. Just in. Just in. Abortion's now illegal everywhere. We're not going to do that anymore. This just in. Guess what? All the country world leaders are getting together and having a party. And they're celebrating the end of all the wars. And everyone's going to become a Christian today. What? We're going to be baptizing people for like the next 50 years. This just in. Can I tell you that's not going to happen? That doesn't mean I'm not going to try to save as many babies as I can while I'm still here. Amen? doesn't mean that I'm not going to stop trying to preach hope to those situations. But my hope is not in those situations turning around and becoming what I want them to be. Because I want the same things you want. I don't want to see all this junk happening in our world. I don't want to see stuff happening in my life. I don't want to see couples still going through divorce. I don't want to see people still dealing with loss and pain and suffering. I don't want to see people still having to go through sickness and disease. I'd love to hear a news report. All the hospitals just got emptied out because everyone was healed. But I I don't see that happening. There's still sin. There's still sickness. There's still disease. There's still problems. There's still plague. So I got to figure out where my hope is going to turn because the world is not going to change for me. Amen? So my hope can't be in this world. My hope can't be in people. My hope has to be in Jesus Christ alone. And he has to be enough. He has to be enough for you. This week begins what we call Holy Week. That word holy means set apart. It means something different, something special. So we traditionally on the church calendar call this Holy Week. And this is us refocusing our hearts by refocusing our attention and our affections on the one who is worthy, who is set apart. And we are called to be set apart. And we are called to trust him. And in that trust, listen, in that trust, there's rest, there's peace, there's joy that can be very contrary to the circumstances that you're going through. Amen? Because your circumstance could be looking pretty bleak. But you can still have peace. Do you have peace because you're confident everything's going to go your way? No, I don't know if everything's going to go my way or not. I don't know if everybody's going to be cheering my name. I don't know if everybody's going to be throwing eggs or tomatoes. I don't know. I don't know. That's not where my hope is. My hope's not in controlled outcomes. My hope is in the one who knows the end from the beginning, the one who knows every hair on my head, the one who knew everything that was going to happen in my life before I was ever even formed in my mother's womb. The one who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that I could be reconciled. I was once an enemy of God. I was once an alien. I was once a foreigner. I was once a stranger. But now, because of what Christ has done, I'm called a son. That's where my hope is, in the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to God except by Jesus. There is no other way. It is by trusting in him that he is enough. So is God's promise enough? I asked you that question earlier. Is God's promise enough? Has he proven himself faithful through his promises? Yeah, he has. Is he still proving himself? Is he still showing himself? Yes. 
He's worthy of our trust. When, he, when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, when we're saying, Hosanna, change the government. <laughs> when we're saying military victory and he comes in riding on a donkey, we scratch our heads a little bit. He's saying this is, a, this is a time of peace. I don't feel like this is a time of peace in my life right now. I don't feel, I don't feel like a time of joy right now. I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm angry, I'm bitter. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey? That doesn't... Peace? Yeah, peace. Peace, because the peace that he gives is not like the peace that the world gives. It's not a peace that comes through having enough money in the bank, having plenty of friends, having a great marriage and great kids and everything going swell in your life and you're, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver. That's not where peace comes from. Peace comes from knowing I'm right with my creator. And if this whole world is against me, he's still for me. Because I've placed my faith and trust in Christ. If everyone that I know rejects me and abandons me, I know that I'm still accepted in his eyes. So it helps me to have confidence, not in myself, but it helps me have confidence in Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the author and the finisher of my faith. So let's focus our hearts on how worthy he is. Let's empty ourselves of ourselves and let's be instead filled with Christ. So Lord, help us to do this because we so often get our eyes on the storm, we get our eyes on the challenge, and we want to try to control the outcome because that's just what we do, Lord. Forgive us for that. We confess that. We repent of that, and we say, Lord, when we try to control people and situations and outcomes, or maybe even perhaps try to control and manipulate you, Lord, who do we think we are? We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Lord, and we confess our need for you. We confess our dependence upon you. We confess, Lord, that apart from you, God, we are, we are nothing. But through Christ, we are sons, we are daughters, we are brought in, we are adopted, we are, we are loved, we are forgiven, we are shown we have been shown grace. We have been shown mercy. We have been shown, Lord, everything that we need to be content in Christ being enough. So Jesus, I pray you continue to work in hearts to deepen a dependence on you. Let us empty us um, corporately, God, of ourselves by confessing our selfishness, our pride, our arrogance. And Father, may we be forgiven and may we be filled with more of you. That you begin to change our thinking, you begin to change our speech, our patterns, our priorities. And Lord, our life glorifies and honors you. We thank you for all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.